Good morning, I'm Peggy. I'm reading from Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 4. A good man is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. This is the word of our Lord. You can be seated. Good morning. <clears throat> How y'all doing today? Good, good. Happy New Year's. Thank you. I think it's funny how we asked everybody to move up and that second row still how somehow magically remains completely empty. There's something about that row. I don't know what it is. Um, it's really good to see all of you today. Uh, Christmas. Did everybody have a nice Christmas? Probably not all of us had a nice Christmas, but uh, hopefully a majority of us. Um, New Year's is, I just want to say this, a terrible holiday compared to Christmas. I think it's like the worst possible thing to follow Christmas. You, you have this magical day where you have presents and lights and trees, and it's like, what does New Year's Eve have to offer for someone over 30? <laughs> <laughs> It's like this magical holiday where you have to stay up later than you want to. <laughs> and if you try to sleep, like bombs start going off around your house at midnight and your dog gets PTSD. It's really like the worst possible thing. So I wanted to start us out on a high note today because we're talking about um, something that is not something that we like to talk about that often. We're going to be talking about the reality of life, the reality of suffering, um, the reality of death, and ultimately the invitation that we have as Christians to enter into that. Um, so before, before we jump in, uh, let's take a moment and pray. Lord, as we examine your word, there are times when we come across portions of scripture in which there is tremendous truth Lord, but also which awakens us to harsh realities. Ultimately, we know that all things in this life are going to work out for our good, and that even includes the end of our life. I pray, Lord, that this morning as we are examining your word, that you would put in us a tremendous vision for our future, for the days that we have remaining Pray, Lord, that you would instill in us somber reflection on the reality that this is a world filled with mourning and suffering. I pray ultimately, Lord, that you would lead us into this with tremendous, tremendous hope in light of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 7, and if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to, to get one. Just raise your hand and somebody will bring it to you. Also, if you'd like a Bible in Spanish, we have those as well. Just let them know. Um, we like for everyone to have a Bible that they can read and understand in their own heart language. 
If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please take it home. If you do have a Bible, bring them back. I need to bring some back. I have a few. I have an RC at my house, so I think it's okay. Um, Ecclesiastes is an incredibly unique book in Scripture. And that's not to say that it doesn't fit in with the totality of the message of Scripture, but it, but it is unique. The book is often attributed to the authorship of Solomon, who was the son of King David, but in reality, the writer of the book, though giving hints to who they are, remains anonymous. So we don't exactly know who, who it is, and it very well may have been Solomon, but we don't know. So we have to look at what we do know about the book, and here's what I'll say. The, the writing of this book is incredibly provocative. It's not the book if you're trying to like lead someone into a relationship with God. This generally is not the book that you want to start with, right? Start by reading Ecclesiastes. They'll just become confused and isolate themselves most likely, get a little depressed. It's this, it's this thorough examination of every aspect of life. It's somebody stopping and pondering and considering all aspects of this gigantic world that God has created and all the, the nuances therein. And it's interesting, especially because even though we are able to glean wisdom from this book, and there is much wisdom to be found here, even the author himself bookends his own book with the phrase, vanity of vanities. The word vanity being incredibly hard to directly translate, but essentially summed up as this, vapor. In essence, even after he spent an entire life examining the realities of God's word, he still finds that pieces of it are elusive. This phrase, vanity of vanities, denotes frustration, anger even, that there is still so much that we don't understand. I hope this would be an encouragement to you because life is intricate, is it not? And we go, we go to different sources oftentimes looking for incredibly simple answers to every single part of our lives. And some people in our lives will offer up answers as though they are just simple and easy to reach and achieve, when in reality, there are some aspects of life that are harder to ascertain an understanding of than others. And so I want to encourage you as we're reading this portion of Scripture, what we're reading here is someone specifically looking at the way that people go about their lives, especially as it pertains to how they view and talk about and think about and engage with death and suffering. And the things that he says are incredibly countercultural in their own time, just as much as they are in ours today. It's gonna, be, it's gonna be interesting, but hopefully, by God's grace, it's gonna be freeing for us. So let's read. It begins in chapter seven, verse one. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting 
for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So what is the author attempting to communicate to us here? He's attempting to show us that three things are better than three other things, and they're surprising. They're surprising. He says that the day of death is better than the day of birth. He says that it's better to spend your time, in verse 2, in a funeral than it is to spend your time at a party. He says that it's better to be sad and sorrowful over the state of affairs that surround us than it is to just laugh through it. That's hard. I don't know about you guys, I find it very difficult to bring up death as a subject that I just interject into a conversation. And I have tried. <laughs> when my wife and I were dating, this would be about 13 years ago, and I was being introduced to her family for the very first time, everybody in the house together. Uh, one thing about me is I love Billy Joel. I cannot describe it. I don't know why, but I love Billy Joel, and I've always loved Billy Joel. And when I met her family, when Trish was introducing me to her dad and telling him some things about me, one of the things that she said is, you know, Dad, Jared loves Billy Joel. Well, my father-in-law, Pat, also loves Billy Joel. And so he said, come check out my record collection. And Pat has this gigantic, like, vinyl collection. And in it, he has every single Billy Joel vinyl ever released. And I just got super excited. And I yelled across the room, hey, Pat, when you die, can I have your record collection? <laughs> I've gotten gooder at speaking since then, okay, just so you know. <laughs> Trish tells me on the way home, Pat didn't care. He's like, yeah, whatever. Um, but on, on the ride home, Trish was like, you know, you kind of upset my sisters uh, today. And because I'm oblivious to most things that are like normal, um, I, said, I said, how on earth did I do that? And she said, well, you're talking about our dad like dying. You're just talking about it in a weird way and you're asking for his stuff and that just <laughs> was upsetting. <laughs> Her sisters have warmed up to me though, I feel, over time. But in all aspects of life, I mean, we encounter that, don't we? We just try to avoid the subject of death. Pastor Alistair Begg points out that when a life insurance salesman is selling you life insurance, he uses the phrase, if anything should happen to you, something is going to happen to you. You're going to die. But we phrase it in such a way that we're not really discussing it it makes us uncomfortable. And that's because death is, the reality of death is it's hard. It's hard on those who are left behind. It's hard who are those, on those who are mourning others. And so we just simply avoid it. Or we do the opposite. 
which is we become obsessed with it, where we fear our death, where our fear of death doesn't result in us avoiding it, but rather being consumed by it to where everything that happens to us physically instantly becomes, this is going to lead to my death. I've gone through that. You find like a cyst under your skin and you're like, oh, that's it. I'm done. It's happened to all of us. It especially happens when you turn 30. I don't know why. (laughs) So we either avoid it or we become obsessed with it. And God in his wisdom invites us into something holy and completely different. He invites us to sit in the reality of the world around us, the somber reality that we are all going to die. He invites us in to sit in that to ponder this, to think about it, to lay it to heart, and he also meets us there. Let's break down these scriptures. So we have three betters. We have it is better to go to the house of mourning, or I'm sorry, the day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than it is to go to the house of feasting. And it's better to be sorrowful than it is to laugh. So why? Why is it better? They give us, he gives us the answer, right? The answer to the first two betters is found at the end of verse two. He says, for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. I love a good party. I do. I love a good party. My wife lets me throw one big one every year and that's a Christmas party. And I love it. I love the music. I love engaging with friends and family. I love the good drink and the good food. And those moments, in those moments, they're meant to point us towards the reality that is our future inheritance in Christ, a celebration One of the coolest things to me in the world was after this party when a non-Christian told my wife, this party is what I imagine heaven feels like. And I was like, man, I'm going to put that on my invitations next year. (laughs) It's going to be in quotes like, ah, this party feels like heaven. The closest I ever came to heaven. I don't know. I'll, I'll change it to make it sound even better. But she said, this party is what I imagine heaven feels like. That's great. We should constantly be pointing people to the future reality that we have in Christ, the present reality that we have in Christ, that we have reason to celebrate, we have reason to be happy. Because that future applies to some people. But the house of mourning, that applies to everybody. It's a morbid thought, but it's a real thought that every person in this room 100 years from now Your name is likely to be found on a gravestone or on an urn, written in an obituary. That's the reality. But we're invited to to look at that without fear. 
We're invited to look at that because specifically death enters into the story of Scripture in the very beginning. Chapter 2, we're introduced to death. Because sin has entered into the world, we now die. But the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus arrives and he takes on the sins of his church and he dies, even though we will die, now we will live if we put our faith in him. As we consider the end of days, they, have, they don't have the power over us that they once had. We're able to engage. We're able to enter into that. It's better to be sorrowful than to laugh. It's better to have sadness of face in light of the reality of the world. Why? Because it's in this that the heart is made glad. See, part of the problem is we try to we try to live our lives in such a way that who we are where our heart is at is not in tune with the genuine temperature of the world around us. My grandmother had this set, I remember in, in this is back in the 90s, McDonald's put out these Walt Disney World glasses. Does anybody remember these? They were like heavy, you got it, yeah, you remember? They're very heavy little glasses, and, and one weekend during the winter, I was spending the night at her house, and I woke up early, and I took one of these glasses out of the cupboard, and it was incredibly cold, and when I placed that glass under the tap, which was running hot, I heard a sss, and the entire bottom separated and fell out. The reality there being that the difference in temperature was enough to destroy that glass. It even showed to some degree the weakness of like a McDonald's glass, right? We don't expect those to be super high quality. We try to go through our lives, we're like that cold cup in the cupboard sometimes, completely oblivious to the temperature. And the temperature is such that we are surrounded constantly by people who are suffering, by people who are in a house of mourning because of the loss of a job or a relationship or a family member. That is the temperature of the room. And should we look at that and just despair? Should we become despondent? No, but we should mourn with those who mourn. But here's the promise in it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. It's incredibly difficult to comfort someone who is oblivious to the reality of the world in which they live, who blinds themselves to their own suffering, their own mourning, and the mourning of others. God invites us to step into the reality of where things are at so that he can meet us there and in doing so, when he steps in, the heart is made glad by the work of Jesus in us. 
That's an incredibly freeing invitation. Because the question becomes, okay, so I'm supposed to enter into the house of mourning. What does that mean? Is Jared asking us to become funeral crashers? No. You know where the house of mourning is? It's in this room. And it's right outside these doors. It has permeated and touched every aspect of this broken world that we live in. But so often, we set up boundaries that are meant to keep us unexposed from the reality of the world that we live in. I mean, we have invisible socioeconomic boundaries, walls in the city of Tucson, things that you can't see with your eye but absolutely exist. We have people on the north side who say, I will never go south of river. We have people south of river saying, I will never go south of 22nd. We have people in Vail who are like, I'm never going into a real town. <laughs> I have Amazon Prime Pantry, like I'm good. I can just stay here. Even in our own community, I have people who hear where I live and they say I'd never live anywhere near, near Alvernon and Grant. I avoid that intersection like the plague. And we make jokes about it. Have you ever driven through that intersection? It's not a joke. It's not. It's where much of the suffering in our city is concentrated. But we tend to avoid those places. We tend to we tend to avoid suffering at all cost even at the expense of avoiding people who cannot avoid suffering if they wanted to. And I don't say that to shame anybody, because that's in my heart too. But I say it to say, like, we have an open invitation from God to enter into the brokenness of the world and meet him there, to experience the fullness of the reality of the world and, and therefore experience the fullness of the reality of Christ. When we avoid, when we avoid the harsh realities, maybe that feels sweeter, but Scripture tells us ultimately that it's not better. What is better? So we have this open invitation. How do we engage? I would tell you, in this very room, we have Abigail Wilhelm. Talk to her about free ever after. Sit in the house of mourning. That is the reality of sex trafficking that is happening right outside our doors. Talk to, to David Wagner 
about the reality of mourning, the house of mourning that is this school that is inhabited in the lives of so many students who sit in these seats when we are not, who come from broken homes, where they're hungry, where they don't have the stability that maybe you and I experience. Talk to David and Hannah Poole about the reality of our broken foster care system, which is a direct reflection of the reality of just the brokenness of people's lives in the state of Arizona, when every single time that I hear the number, there's another thousand children who are waiting to find a place where they can just be comforted and loved and taken care of. We are invited to enter into that. And the cool thing about it, and I want to leave us on a high note looking at, the, looking at this next year, is we're invited to enter into it again with Jesus, and he is the answer to this suffering. He is the answer to the mourning that is taking place in the world. He is the one who has taken away the sting of death. He is the one who has taken away the victory that death has. It has no victory. It has no sting. We don't have to be afraid of it. We can look it in the eye and know, though I will die, yet I will surely live. And the truth, may it be true for the people whose suffering we engage with. Amen? Isn't that freeing to know that we don't have to be afraid? To know that we don't have to be scared? Doesn't it put our lives in perspective when we look at the genuine end? It's so much better than the opposite. It's so much better than pretending like it's not real. This happened to me just, I mean, just before Christmas. One week I'm having a Christmas party, and the very next week my grandmother dies, and I'm jolted into the reality of my broken relationship with parts of my family and the harsh reality that that which once seemed so certain was gone. Verse 4 tells us the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. You don't want to be jolted? Be there. Be there with Jesus. Don't wait for the bottom to fall out. Don't wait for your life to suddenly be so shaken apart because this is not what he promised. Let me tell you, this is exactly what he promised would happen. This is John 16, man. This is Jesus saying, like, in this life, you will have trouble. He's not saying some of you. He's saying in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? Praise God. He has overcome the world. We can look at the pain and the suffering that's taken place around us, and we can say there are troubles, but surely he has overcome the world. The present reality, not yet fully realized, but one day will be completely realized, is that Jesus has taken all the brokenness that has ever occurred in the history of the world, and he is making it new. When you look at brokenness, you are looking at brokenness yet to be resolved. It will be resolved. It will be taken care of by Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. 
We're going to be looking at verse 14 and 15. And this is where I want us to arrive. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Praise God. We didn't even realize we were enslaved. That the fear of death, that us not looking at it, that us ignoring it, that us building walls between us and those who are suffering, we think that makes life better. It's slavery, and we just gave ourselves over to it. The good news of Jesus is he's freeing us from that. Amen? Um, yeah. I do want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to take a look at our outward-focused ministries. It's at the, the Connect table, Get Connected table. I can't keep up. Take a look at all the different ways that you can enter into the house of mourning in this city. There are so many. Let 2018 be the year where if maybe up to this point you've been protecting yourself, that instead you allow yourself to be freed by Jesus to enter in, find a place to engage. Let me encourage you, if, you are in an, if you're in a redemption community, don't be superficial. Don't deny others the opportunity to enter into your house of mourning where they can receive comfort and gladness of heart. Too often we're trying to protect others when in reality we do them no good service. Instead, let this be the year that you let others into your pain. Let this be the year where you ask people questions about their lives outside of how are you doing and instead ask what are you experiencing this week? what's happening in your life. Let this be the year that you get a bus pass that you ride in a vehicle, even if you don't have to, where the brokenness of our city is on full display, where the smell of humans who have no access to hot water is present. Where people are drinking hard liquor from a cup. Let this be the year that you go south of river. Because Jesus, in a very real sense, went south of river for us. Jesus, in a very real sense, left perfection and goodness, perfect communion with God and stepped into the world, our house of mourning, who sat in the brokenness that we experience day in and day out, who lived a life like we've lived, but without sin, 
and who ultimately, who paid the price so that you and I can no longer be slaves to fear of death. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that, um, I pray that you would take us to uncomfortable places. I pray that you would put on our hearts, Lord, not guilt, not despair, but present us, Lord, with an open invitation that would draw us into difficult places, that would take us into houses of mourning, that would allow us to be sorrowful when the occasion calls for it. Let us be people, Lord, who even when we are at a party, our heart is still in the house of mourning. In other words, Lord, that we know, let us know the present temperature of the world in which we live at all times. Let us live lives that reflect that. Let us receive an urgency as a result of that, that we may love others and point them towards the good news of Jesus. We love you. We thank you for sending your son who has set us free. It's in his name we pray. Amen.